Welcome to Club and Country, the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage, usually brought to you by the two people who have been doing it longer than anyone else in their respective disciplines. But today, Nashville SC radio voice Wes Bowling is living out his Mad Max Fury Road dreams in the desert. So it's a solo show for me. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com. I did bring plenty of help, though, joining me to talk Louisville City FC will be Vince Irvin. He is a former college football player who played at NAIA Lindsey Wilson College. Uh, he's now a huge soccer fan and a contributor to the Scuffed podcast where he participates in the Monday Review. He is also, crucially, a Louisville City season ticket holder. Um, and you guys came in hot with mailbag questions, so I'll answer as many of those as I can possibly get to. Here's what you have to look forward to in this one. In the early shout, I will talk Nashville SC dropping points against Atlanta United, and I will also look forward to a match against the Colorado Rapids. In the interview portion of today's program, I will chat with Vince. We'll talk about what Louisville City is building, what it could mean for the club to beat an MLS club at their beautiful new stadium right on the shore of the Ohio River there. We'll talk a lot about what Louisville is going to put out on the field on Wednesday evening. In the mailbag, you guys asked a ton of questions. A lot of them were about goalkeeping. We will see if I believe that goalkeeping is becoming an issue for this club for the first time in its existence. Is somebody other than Joe Willis going to be the guy stepping between the pipes? And outside in, I will look at how the rest of the U.S. Open Cup round of 16 games will play out. And I will give predictions that are at least as horrible as the ones that I gave for the round of 32. But first... Club and Country is sponsored by ML Rose. You can drink beer. You can have burgers. You can do it all on 8th Avenue South. Whether or not there is a Nashville SC game, you have the opportunity to live the Nashville SC lifestyle right there. Very close to Nashville SC's beautiful new stadium, Geodis Park. ML Rose is a great place. They want to be a soccer bar. They want to be the official bar of supporters of not just Nashville Soccer Club, but of this podcast. So great beer, great food, great ambiance. When you think Nashville SC, when you think club and country, think ML Rose. I hope I nailed that, Wes. I know I, I didn't write it down from you, but hope hope I nailed that. But again, think ML Rose, please. Let's get right into the early shout. Let's talk about a match against Atlanta United that had a, a very interesting but familiar to Nashville SC fans uh, run of show here. Uh, the boys in gold roared out of a two hour and 53 minute rain delay to score within five minutes of resuming play. And they punched right back when Atlanta responded. These are two clubs that have played in the rain before they have played in the rain in the very first professional game for Nashville SC. In fact, Nashville SC is a club that has dealt with plenty of weather and of course, that's the simple nature of playing during the spring and summer in this part of the country. Um, Nashville SC was four, three, and five. That's four wins, three losses, and five draws after a weather delay or with a midstream weather delay, regardless of whether it was before the game or midstream, I guess. Um, that includes a game that they led and was abandoned in the second USL year against New York Red Bulls. Unfortunately, they lost in the replay. They were leading 2-1 when the game was uh, called off just before halftime. There was not enough time to, to count that as a game played, and they started from the beginning. It did not go well for the boys in gold. There were actually no weather delays in the 2021 season. That's last year, if my notes are correct. 
Uh, and uh, I did not check Nashville Soccer Archive <laughs> to make sure that they are, but I believe that's the that's the right uh, number there. They did draw in Minnesota this year. I was there in the house as I sat there and waited for a very long time through a weather delay. And the, the rain in that game seemed to only affect Nashville SC's attacking end of the pitch uh, back in on March 5th, it was. Uh, that was a game that uh, had a little bit of... Uh, controversy because of how the pitch uh, seemed to only be affected on Nashville's end. And there were a couple of potential missed calls and we'll talk about officiating later in the mailbag as well, but there were a couple potential uh, penalty calls that Nashville felt hard done by that game. So uh, getting back to Atlanta on Saturday evening, unfortunately it, it ended up being the sixth draw for the boys in gold in a game that included a weather delay. Atlanta scored in the 88th minute to snag back a lead that Nashville had held for 66 minutes or 56 minutes of game time, uh, 66 uh, real life minutes because halftime was only 10 minutes. Thanks to the length of the weather delay with that draw Nashville and Atlanta have played six times in the regular season. Nashville holds a two, one and three advantage. That's two wins, a loss and three draws. Atlanta won three, one in the preseason of 2018, which is the only non-competitive game that these clubs have played. Fittingly, it was a very rainy day, as I alluded to before, with a soaked pitch. That was what we saw in Geodis Park on Saturday evening. Let's look at what we're going to see uh, coming up in Dick Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado, just outside of Denver this weekend. Uh, take a look at the Colorado Rapids. They're currently 5-5-3. Five, five, and three. Do you want to kind of contextualize what that record means? It's like if you flipped one of Nashville's draws so far into a loss. So they're slightly below Nashville in the table. But when you look at what the Rapids have been able to do so far at Dick Sporting Goods Park, they are 5-0-2 at home. This is a club that has not been beaten at home yet. You'll note that's a lot of home games compared to how Nashville has had to be a little bit nomadic so far this season. The key personnel, striker Diego Rubio leads the Rapids with six goals and an assist so far. Um, they're hoping that he doesn't have to be the lone striker. They traded for Jossi Zardes who has a goal in his first five appearances with the club, joining on a massive trade from Columbus Crew, a place that had basically considered him surplus to requirements at this point in the year. Um, they do have a younger American striker, Miguel Berry, who's kind of breaking out a little bit. Uh, primarily, I would say the Columbus Crew are just kind of bad, <laughs> and they're trying to get assets uh, unloaded for whatever monetary value they can. Um, looking at who's creating the attack for the Rapids so far, on the season it's winger Michael Barrios he has three assists he's the only player on on the team with more than one assist um Rubio is is one of the the, the many players in the multi-way tie with a single assist and when you look at defensively uh, what's interesting to me is as somebody who I think most listeners know got into soccer as a U.S. men's national team fan uh, goalkeeper William Yarbrough, who's a U.S.-Mexico dual national, and you don't expect that with a name like Yarbrough. His parents were missionaries in Mexico, I believe is the story there. He's had some highlight reel moments, and he um, is probably not working his way back into the men's national team picture, I guess, is, is the, the two-pronged kind of description of what he's been so far. He is bang average in goals allowed against the expected goals he's faced. Uh, 1.02. So he's so he's allowed 2% greater goals than the expected goals that he's faced so far this year. That's basically average, as we'll see later in the show. That's that's better than Joe Willis is playing so far this year. It is worse than Joe Willis's both career and uh, Nashville SC career numbers. So 
this is a guy who's not going to go out and, and steal a game on a regular basis, but he does have the ability to do it. When you look at how Nashville is going to perform at altitude, uh, there are very, uh, there are precious few, I guess, uh, opportunities to know. Um, Nashville played uh, earlier this fall. They played a, or earlier this spring, excuse me. They played a 2-1 game in Salt Lake City. They lost to Real Salt Lake. You may recall Dax McCarty with the late red card there. It is worth noting that they played a, uh, they played that same team in uncompetitive fashion in the return fixture. So um, with a sample size of one, we are the small sample size podcast with a sample size of one. We don't know too much, but it does seem like on the balance of the two games played Nashville SC was the better team in both of them. And Real Salt Lake was able to snag the win when that game was played in Sandy, Utah. So there might be some, some sort of a mental hurdle, if not an actual hurdle in terms of how the teams will play at altitude. Uh, the only other game that Nashville SC has played at altitude in its MLS existence so far was another game at Real Salt Lake. So they have not played at Dick's Sporting Goods Park yet. Um, Nashville played Real Salt Lake in Sandy last year and they drew. They did not play either team in 2020. So this is a, a circumstance and this is a, uh, a team specifically that Nashville has as precious little evidence to know how it's going to go. Um, as I previously mentioned, Colorado five, five and three, they are uh, eighth in the uh, Western conference table so far, but it's a pretty crowded table there. As I mentioned, Nashville SC is just a single point ahead of them. We will see exactly how these teams are going to come out and play, but Colorado has a reputation. And I think when you look at having picked up Jossie Zardes, it, it probably makes sense. They have a reputation for playing a pretty similar brand of ball to what I think the pejorative of, of Gary ball would be, which is kind of lumping it up to a guy like Jossie and, and hoping something happens. Obviously we've seen Nashville come back home and play a very expansive and beautiful style of game in, in their home matches, but back on the road, do we see maybe a little bit more of that uh, bunker encounter um, Gary Smith is going to be mad at me for saying that, but the, the bunker encounter road philosophy that we have seen at times out of Nashville, it'll, it'll be very difficult to know exactly what we're going to see. But first, Nashville does have a midweek game. They travel to Derby City, that two and a half hour drive that I think many listeners are probably very familiar with. Just take 65 right up to 71 there. Um, um, you don't even have to, to hop very far on 71 you go like a mile to get to Lynn family stadium there on the banks of the Ohio river to take on a club that Nashville SC is very familiar with. They played Louisville city FC very regularly during the two clubs, uh, 2018 and 2019 overlap in the USL um, Louisville city knocked Nashville SC out of the U S open cup the year that Nashville played the Colorado Rapids in the open cup, defeating the MLS club, at home at Vanderbilt Stadium in the 2018 season. We will see exactly how that game is going to play out, but to give us the best view of what we can expect as Nashville heads to Lynn Family Stadium, I caught up with my good friend Vince Irvin, as I mentioned before, a former college football player. Um, his younger brother, Reggie Bonifon, plays in the NFL at this time. So this is a guy who has a, a great athletic pedigree and has kind of channeled that in his in his old age. Uh, I say sarcastically because he's significantly younger than me. In his old age, he has channeled that into soccer and following not just Louisville City FC, but also racing Louisville, the NWSL team up there in Derby City that I think many Nashville fans are uh, very jealous exists. Without further ado, let's get to my interview with my good friend, Vince Irvin. 
Right, to talk a little bit of Louisville City FC, we are joined by Vince Irvin, who uh, actually played NAIA college football, not soccer, but uh, is now a contributor to the Scuffed Monday Reviews and is a resident of Louisville. Vince, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. How, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm making it through. I'm making it through. Well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about yourself, though. Um, as I just mentioned, you're a guy who played NAIA football. Uh, Nashville SC fans who have been around a little bit longer might actually be familiar with Lindsey Wilson College because one of our former star players during the USL days, Lebo Moloto, went there as well. So you've got a little that's bit. Of, that's my boy. Yeah, so you've got a little bit of a background <laughs> with Nashville as well. Um, yeah. How did you go from being a guy who, you know, grew up in Louisville playing college football? How did you become a guy that, you know, talks about soccer every week now? Um, really, I just, so like, like every, every world cup I was watching and I was, I was locked in, like the world cup mm -hmm. was one of my favorite sporting events, like to every time it came around, but it just seemed so hard to follow it outside of the world mm -hmm. cup that like, I didn't, I didn't really dive in. And so, but after the 2018 world cup, I was like, okay, no excuses. I got <laughs> I really figured this out and, and, and let's do it because by that time I was I was out of college you know I had I had the time to to really figure it <laughs> to really figure it all out and um yeah I just I just dove in head first man mm -hmm. just dove, just dove in head first how did you get into Louisville City obviously it's your your hometown club here but how did that become an interest for you um so as I just became uh bigger and bigger into soccer just kept watching kept watching and it's like something I knew in the back of my mind. I was like, you know, there's a club here and, and they were good. They had won the championship <laughs> like the year before. Um, I, I think it was like the caught offside podcast, I think. Uh, and, and total soccer show. We we're just talking about like the importance of, of uh, supporting like local clubs, you know, total soccer show used to do that thing with like the Richmond kickers. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, Oh man, this is cool. And then just learning about like the USL's place in the American soccer ecosystem and how it, I mean, it does play a role. Like it's not, mm -hmm. you know, MLS or whatever, but un like, unlike the other professional sports in America, um, it has an importance. It, it, it has an importance, like the, the lower level professional leagues. So after that, I just hopped in. I think my first game that I went to was like a playoff match against like Indy 11. Mm -hmm. Um, in like November, I don't, it, the, the wind was whipping, it was freezing, <laughs> freezing cold at, at, at Slugger Field, but yeah, and ever since then, like the atmosphere and everything, I was just hooked, I was like, man, this is, this is what mm -hmm. I'm doing. Well, so you just mentioned kind of that the, the lower leagues have a, a role to play, and Louisville does seem like one of the markets where the, the club is, um, I guess, satisfied with the role that they play as, as not necessarily one of the clubs that's constantly pushing for MLS, what, where do they feel like they fit into the ecosystem? And then obviously every club wants to win the U.S. Open Cup. So how important would it be to knock off an MLS uh, team this weekend or this midweek, um, I guess, this Wednesday? Well, me, I, like, like I always say that we're the, we're the best club in the, in the Americas <laughs> just because like that's, <laughs> that's how I feel, man. It's just like, you know, um, we're, we're I, like, like I see us as like a pillar of the mm -hmm. USL, you know what I'm saying? Something that's going to that's going to keep the, the USL, uh, running and, and, and functional, you know, <laughs> just like, a, uh, I mean, yeah, a pillar, man. Like, I just feel like we're one of the, the clubs in the second division that is there is going to be there. No, no mm -hmm. threat of folding. we got our own stadium, 
you know what I'm saying? We got our own supporter culture, mm-hmm. everything. It's just, and uh, in my opinion, we've done it the right way. Yeah, it kind of and, stabilizes the second division even too, because not every club right. is, is necessarily right. in that position. Exactly, right? exactly. So that so that ability to be a stabilizer is something that I'm just really proud of. I'm just proud of the city, because you know, I mean, we've been a we've been a soccer playing city. We've been a city of immigrants. Um, so I, I'm just I'm just happy to see it here. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, for, for to answer your other question, yeah, for the most part, I think. Yeah, we're we are happy that the diehards are happy that to be a USL mm-hmm. club. If we went to MLS, they we would instantly just draw more and be like mm-hmm. a bigger deal in the community than uh we already are because that's just how Louisville is. But I think the diehards are very happy with with our place, and they they it's almost like an adversarial relationship with the MLS. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the opportunity to have Nashville come into Lynn Family Stadium and uh yeah the opportunity to beat them like uh if we beat nashville that would be huge that would be huge of course <laughs> well so louisville is a, a club that is really hard to beat um i think they're the last major club in in north america to take a loss this season but it's two in a row now is this team slumping is it a team that is kind of maybe gearing up for for nashville to come to town and not so worried about league play right now what is the big picture there okay so number <laughs> one after after the the open cup game against detroit Mm-hmm. I, I I I tweeted, which which for a lot of people is uh, famous last words, and it <laughs> happened <laughs> happened to be the case for me too. I was like, look, there there is one professional men's soccer club uh, that hasn't lost yet this season. It's Louisville City. Um, you know, made the tweet, and we, we've <laughs> we've lost we've lost our next two games. So, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, the first one against LA Galaxy two was kind of explainable like we played Detroit City on Tuesday I think Mm -hmm. flew to LA played LA Galaxy on a Friday night I want to say with like a a extremely makeshift lineup we had to call an academy kid back from loan to so he could play right back like the it was just a lot going on we 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 came out the gates hot but Mm -hmm. we were kind of exposed on the counter over and over again uh to lose three four uh, or four to three against mm-hmm. the against galaxy two and on saturday we put out our first choice lineup against monterey bay fc at home back at home uh yeah that was that was our first choice 11 probably the 11 you're gonna see on wednesday mm-hmm. um and ended up losing there too <laughs> <laughs> were they looking forward were they just looking ahead was it a trap game in a way um i think so my okay. monterey bay fc was like is bottom was bottom of the table in the mm-hmm. western conference um i think we probably looked past them in some way mm-hmm. just yeah i think i think that's the case we outpossessed them whatever didn't didn't create enough chances really to 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 win the game but yeah that's <laughs> yeah, that's 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 how it's been going now so so we'll see mm-hmm. we'll see how we look on wednesday Let's talk a few players. Um, first of all, a player that Nashville fans are very familiar with. He played in Nashville for a year and like two games is Cam Lancaster. Just came back from injury. I believe this past weekend was his first game right. back. Um, what are the expectations for him? Is he expected to be healthy for the rest of the year? Um, I know Nashville fans would say he's expected to never be healthy. But... Yeah, it's, it's definitely something we've, I mean, we, we know about Cam's injury history. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we really had a, 
big hopes for him going to Nashville. You know, it, it was mm-hmm. it was sad to see him go, but it was like, man, hopefully, hopefully he kills it. But um, yeah, he's he should be he should be good for the rest of the year. Uh, made a sub appearance um, this weekend. The striker Wilson Wilson Harris that has played in place of Cam has been tremendous so far. Um, way better than we could have expected and mm-hmm. has pretty much uh you know replaced Cam's production maybe not his overall play yeah and definitely not his threat on set pieces but I would say if I know Cam Lancaster he's probably gonna be starting uh, <laughs> he, he's gonna be uh very excited to do so I think as well right right based on what we know about him but <laughs> who are some of the other guys that that Nashville SC fans should look out for I know I know when you and I usually talk about Louisville it's like the young guys so like Josh Winder and some of those guys but who are the ones that that go out and play at like a, you know, a, a all USL sort of level, which there usually are a bunch of for Louisville. Yeah. Um, our, our right back, Manny, Manny Perez, mm-hmm. who I don't know if you remember, he, he went to, I think he went to Rangers out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it might've been Celtic, but yeah, one of the, one of those big Scottish clubs. Yeah. 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 He went to, he went to Scotland out of college. So one of the two, one of the two big ones. Mm-hmm. And um, I guess didn't work out there, ended up bouncing back. But he's he's been absolutely tremendous. I think uh, like probably one of my players of the season so far. Um, just a very 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 good player. Very good getting forward. Very good in the build up. Um, hasn't been tested so much on the on the defensive end, and that's that's the main thing about this about this match is we're gonna learn. Um, we're gonna learn a lot about Louisville City. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, but let's see, Manny. Um, you you know we got we got our captain up uh, Paolo Del Piccolo, mm-hmm. um, one of our one of our eights, um, has basically turned into a a, a goal scoring midfielder. Yeah, pretty much arrives in the box, just has a knack for arriving and um, finishing chances, whether with his head or his, or his feet. But he's uh he's been good for us. And let me think. Oh, of course, Brian Ombi. Mm-hmm. Oh, so some of you probably remember Brian yep. Ombi from from our our days in the in the USL together. Mm-hmm. And you know, just a pure uh, a, a pure pace merchant. You know, just an extremely fast man who will give you problems. They give you problems all day. There's not many. We don't have like a ton of plus plus athletes. Mm-hmm. Really, we just just a lot of good soccer players. You know. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, this, uh, we, yeah, we, we don't have a lot of pure athletes, but Brian is one of the ones that mm-hmm. uh, can really like stretch the back line, uh, get in behind, and over the because really, I like I I used to be on Brian Obi's back, man. I used to be like this guy, <laughs> like he runs fast, he gets in good spots, but the the goals and assists are lacking. Mm-hmm. He's he's really improved over the past two years, like just and incredibly to mm-hmm. my, to my surprise i mean he's he's really like a, legit, a legitimate threat now and probably the one danger man other than cam that you have to be worried about so how's the goalkeeping situation because i know you know back in the day Louisville always had had badass goalkeepers neither of the guys that they have now do i recognize by name so so who is who is keeping goal most of the time and and how good of a player is it hold on to him yeah the, the the man's name slipped my mind. 
Yeah, Kyle Morton and Parker Siegfried are the two that are listed. Kyle Morton. Kyle Morton. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. He, yeah, he has it. Um, Kyle Morton's been excellent. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Absolutely excellent. Um, yeah, he, he's been he's been an upgrade. Jesus, I'm forgetting. The, <laughs> I'm, forget, I'm forgetting last year's goal. He, he's he's been an upgrade over mm-hmm. from from what we had last year. He's been very good, very good with his feet, very good, extremely good shot stopping. Um, you know, the match against Detroit City went to penalties. Mm-hmm. Um, and he he played a big role in us coming out on top in that in that penalty shootout. So mm-hmm. yeah. In the big picture, um, I think Nashville fans again are very familiar with how excited Cam Lancaster is to potentially beat Nashville SC. But what would a win in this match mean in, in the big picture for the club? Is it just you know kind of the next step towards going as deep in the Open Cup as anyone has, or is it is it something that means more than that, just on its own? Um, anytime you get to anytime that you could potentially beat an MLS team is just is just big. I think. Um, you know, it's we struggle with the legitimacy issue for, you know, people that aren't familiar with soccer and under right. and don't understand. Like, you know, when I when I bring up Louisville City, somebody like, is it is it MLS? I'm like, nah. <laughs> but, and I like, and you know, you can see their yeah, eyes yeah. glaze at that point. Mm-hmm. So, I think the, I would the be, eyes might glaze even if you said yes. <laughs> so. Right, 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt about it. <laughs> Absolutely no doubt. About it. Even with the national team stuff, people's eyes go, will glaze over. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I just think it'll just be huge as a because we've really built a built a club. You know, mm-hmm. integration from from the academy up to the first team. We have, we're moving kids on. Uh, Jonathan Gomez over in Spain. Um, maybe maybe Joshua Winder will be in Europe uh, mm-hmm. at this point next year. Yeah, he's seventeen now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, at, at well in in December because he yeah, turns. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, hopefully he'll be heading over to Europe in December of twenty twenty three. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it's just it would just be legitimization of just everything mm-hmm. that that we believe in, everything we've been striving for. I think one of the most exciting things, especially for for a lower tier, um, I would say you know, upper lower tier, obviously. Uh, club team in the United States is that that new stadium only been open for a couple of years. What should Nashville SC fans who are making the trip up on Wednesday expect to see out of Lynn family stadium? Right. Um, it's just, and it, it, it's a nice place to watch a game. Mm-hmm. Nice place to watch a game. Um, the part I like, like usually when I, if I, if I'm not with my family, I got a wife and a daughter, mm-hmm. if I'm not with them, then I'll just walk around to a couple of different spots. Cause there's just so many, there's, different places you can go with different vantage points mm-hmm. um, that you can catch the game. So usually me, I'll start off. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll start off in the supporter section mm-hmm. in the, in the huge supporter section, the butcher town end where the, the Cooper stay and where the drums are played and everything. Uh, you, you guys probably shouldn't come up there, <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, I'll stay up there for a little bit and then walk around the concourse. So we have one side of our concourse has suites. So you can't see the field from there, but the other side is like open, open air. So you can mm-hmm. walk on the concourse and just watch the game from the concourse. And I, I really enjoy that a lot. There's tables over there, you know, you can get a drink, you know, we got a little, got a little tiki bar or whatever, <laughs> multiple bars. I think there's at least 10 in the stadium. Yeah. I think that's something that fans are going to be very excited to, to see. Out there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, um, 
yeah, it's just it's just a great place to watch a game. Not a single bad seat in the house. Uh, and it's just, and I, I, and I think that the turnout is going to be po- possibly a record for Lynn family. Mm-hmm. We'll awesome. see. Awesome. Well, Vince, Vince Irvin uh, of the Scuffed Podcast and, and various uh, social media <laughs> places out there as well. Um, yeah. And and most importantly today, Louisville City Superfan. Vince, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, uh, no problem, man. Thanks for having me. Yo, Tim. Yes. If I can. Should I stop recording? Might, no, 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 no. Keep it going. Keep it going. Okay. Okay. But if I just do one thing, one thing for Nashville fans, just if you want to, before the, before the game, if you want to get a bite to eat or, you know, something to drink, I would say go to 1020. 1020 is a brewery close to the stadium. Walkable. Um, excellent beer there. Yeah. Just excited for the match, man. Now it's time for the mailbag, but before we get into that, I want to say a few words about our sponsor, ML Rose. Thank you, as always, to ML Rose for sponsoring the podcast. A little peek behind the curtain after Nashville SC training on Friday morning. Stop by ML Rose. They're on 8 South. Very convenient to Nashville SC's training facility for me. Um, sat there, did a little bit of work, and had uh, a burger. I had the Belgian burger and a couple beers and had a very solid time there. Did not bug me. I was just, I was mostly there working. Uh, they left me alone as much as I needed. They uh, gave me attention when I needed that as well. Always very happy to have a good meal with, with bartenders who are understanding of your, of your need for sure. So thank you as always to ML Rose for sponsoring. Now let's get right into the questions. First one comes from Finn Breland. He says, we've seen some critical mistakes from Joe Willis lately alongside some nice saves as well. What do the stats slash metrics say about his performance so far this year? And can we chalk this poor run of form up to some fluky games or is there something deeper going on? And then CF Maximo wants 10 minutes on this topic. I probably will not be providing 10 minutes, but it'll definitely be the longest topic in the mailbag. So I will start by saying that Willis has allowed at least a goal or two this year that weren't really his fault, but um, that happens to every keeper. And with over 1200 minutes played, we're at a point where sample sizes are robust enough that what we're seeing is legit. There are a, a true reflection of his performance and not, Uh, bound by those small sample size issues. So with that said, uh, he's allowed 15 goals on 12.38 expected goals on target. So he has allowed 2.6 more goals than expected. He's not playing his best ball. And when you take into account that the bad decision-making on Atlanta's first goal in the open cup game and the first one Saturday evening, don't directly take into account that uh, he is, um, you know, they're not stat oriented struggles. They are struggles where he made bad plays in a non shot stopping manner that made life more difficult in the shot stopping sense. So you can increment your opinions, I guess, even more downward than what the pure numbers say, I guess is what I'm getting at here. It is worth noting though, that this has been an anomaly, not only for this season, I I would say, but throughout his Nashville SC career, he was a significantly better than average goalkeeper during the 2020 season. He was kind of a a revelation because he had not had a a couple good years in a row with the Houston Dynamo, but he was also average last year. So um, the fact that his stats are worse this year, maybe the continuation of a downward trend, or it looks like that um, if you only look at his time in Nashville. But I think when you look at a guy who is 33 years old, not that old for a goalkeeper, and he has had no injury issues since joining Nashville SC. He has played every single second between the pipes for Nashville SC. It is likely that it's just a bad run of form and not necessarily kind of a long-term decrease in his overall quality. It's not something that I would necessarily worry about. Yes, you want long-term succession planning, but for now, I don't think Willis is a problem or the problem. 
Uh, Jared Siemens times in, chimes in on the topic and says, he's never had good positional awareness or good decision-making, but he's definitely in his head more than usual. And I'm going to strongly agree with Jared on the second part there. There does seem to be something of a mental hurdle right now. And that goal that I mentioned in the first Atlanta game, saw him hesitate a little bit. He um, got halfway out to a, a through ball and just kind of stopped and couldn't get back in time because he changed his mind halfway through the play. And then he kind of overcompensated the following game against Houston Dynamo, came out maybe a little too aggressively, gave up a penalty and pretty much prevented his team from having a chance to make the comeback once it was down 2-0 versus 1-0. So that's something that when you look, you know, back to maybe being overcorrected again uh, on the conservative side, when you look at the past couple games, it's a guy who kind of doesn't know where he needs to be in terms of kind of tweaking those sliders a little bit. Um, in terms of the positional awareness and decision-making though, I don't think that those have been long-term or, or significant issues, at least for Willis. Um, they're just more obvious and visible than, than shot stopping when, when a guy doesn't let in and he howlers for the most part and he doesn't make highlight reel saves. What you're going to notice about him are those big decisions that don't quite work out for him. Or if they did work out, which they haven't enough this year, you would notice them in that sense too. And the stuff on the margins of shot stopping is like making 80% saves 80% of the time rather than 70% of the time, which is um, you know probably a little bit less of what we're seeing. Um, obviously an 80% save is, is probably your average shot that he's, he's facing a 20, a 0.2 XG sort of thing. And, um, you know, if you're allowing those to go for 0.3 goals and every 10 of them, you're letting in three instead of two, you're, you're giving up a little bit more than you'd want to say. I think that's where you're seeing his weaknesses so far in his career. Um, the big goofs are, uh, somewhat new to this year. And I think those are the sort of thing that, you expect him to smooth out a little bit with these game reps that he's getting fast and furious now, but more importantly, once there is a little bit of rest and the, and the mental and physical fatigue, have a chance to catch up over the upcoming international break. A lot about Joe Willis there, not 10 minutes, but a lot. Um, John Mueller asks, given the squad's average age is among the highest in the league, if not the actual highest uh, for John, yes, it is the actual highest, I think by a, a fairly significant number, like a half year on average, which positions would you make a priority to get younger at and why? And then Brett McNew asks a related question, which is how much harder is it for a team like NSC where the average age is one of the highest in the league to navigate extra time games, short rest games, and super long weather delays? Do you manage minutes or just trust guys to know their bodies and be upfront about how they feel? Um, to answer uh, I, the very last part of Brett's question there, Nashville SC's training staff and coaching staff are intimately uh, conversing about where these guys' metrics look um, in terms of their oxygen loads and all those sorts of things. They are making those decisions based on data. They are not saying, if you feel okay, just go ahead and do it. Um, obviously, for the most part, we're seeing guys being given a run out, but um, navigating those, those uh, long weather delays is probably not that big of a deal, but definitely the short rest and the, and the, uh, Extra time games are, are not easy um, to get to John's main question here. It's, it's clear that there are already a couple spots where Nashville has made an effort to get younger. Um, you look at Sean Davis coming in this year. He's taking probably half of Dax McCarty's minutes um, so far. Obviously, it's kind of small sample sizes because Dax has been unavailable for two, two games so far. And um, similar with Anibal Godoy, I think he's probably taking like a quarter of Anibal Godoy's minutes. But Anibal Godoy has also been out for a few games. So those minutes have been increased those minutes, regardless of, of how they are ending up uh, in the boots of Sean Davis or Top Ryan Anunga, are going towards younger guys from a couple guys who are 
who are 30 plus. Um, if you look at the forward positions, Ake Loba, if he could, you know, play well enough to get on the field, Ethan Zubak is getting on the field. Those guys are younger than, than a lot of the backup attacking players. They're obviously younger than the starting striker and CJ Sapong and the wingers as well. Hanguala Buono would be playing more if he could stay fully healthy. His is a little bit more of a health issue than a performance issue in comparison to Ake Loba, but um, Nashville looks poised to add a 25-year-old fullback. We, we talk about this seemingly every pod, but it, it still looks like things are on track for Shaq Moore. Um, that's likely at the expense of Eric Miller, who's almost 30. So, um, you know, you look at what this club is doing, and yes, it is one of the older ones right now, but kind of the older players are, if not necessarily being phased out, you can see that there's a succession plan. Um, there are pieces in place to be much younger when the young talent is healthy, and when the old talent decides to either hang up the boots or play a smaller role. I mean, you can even look at the, the uh, backline situation. Nashville has gone to a back three slash back five a little bit more frequently. And Jack Mayer, a guy who's a draft pick just a couple of years ago, is the beneficiary of that. I don't think anybody's upset to have a 29-year-old Walker Zimmerman in the lineup. But when you're putting him next to a 23 or 24-year-old Jack Mayer, you're decreasing the average age. Uh, you know, without changing the the kind of philosophy of what you need to do in terms of looking at the ages, because you need to add another player and the next player up is, is a young guy. Um, until those younger guys are ready and available, though, to get back to Brett's question, it is tough for an older team to recover. You might get 90 minutes out of, um, for example, Seattle Sounders midfielder Obed Vargas, who is 17. You might get 90 minutes out of him twice a week, every week all summer. It could That could very easily happen. You are probably not getting that from 35-year-old Dax McCarty. We've seen him come off, um, you know, maybe minute management in the past few games or come on as a sub as part of that minute management a little bit. Tracy Edwards asks, do you agree that the U.S. Open Cup match with Louisville should be prioritized over Colorado this week? I think that we should be laser focused on this trophy going forward. Um, yeah, Wes and I have talked about this one uh, a lot the past couple of weeks, mostly as it related to the Atlanta United Open Cup game a couple of weeks ago, but what I think is, is yes, the Open Cup should be a priority right now. Uh, what Gary Smith will say is not that uh, a cup game is more important than the regular season. He is very, um, you know, diplomatic in the way he approaches these things. I've tried to pick his brain on the topic at every single press conference within the past couple of weeks, but I do think you're right, Tracy, in that a quest for a trophy seems most obvious to happen with a four cup, four game cup run at this point. Um, a bad result in Colorado, if you prioritize the Louisville City game over the Colorado Rapids game, is not going to doom the regular season. If you don't prioritize the Louisville City game and you lose, uh, that opportunity to win a trophy is completely over. Um, of course, with an international break on the way, there may be enough in the tank to go for both. Um, Gary Smith hates losing to teams with a connection to his past, um, whether that's a former player, whether that's a place that he led to MLS Cup. Uh, just over a decade ago. Um, there's no more obvious example than that, that club that he led to MLS Cup and then had a pretty bitter departure from shortly thereafter in the Colorado Rapids. I think even if he does understand that he should prioritize the Louisville City game, uh, the Rapids are going to get Nashville SC's best available shot. Jay Oz asks, how can MLS refereeing improve to the level that MLS players have improved? They've been lapped. Um, this is a tough one because I agree and, and Wes and I note big misses regularly um, that we remember those though there are, we remember bad refs too. There's no question that Nashville has had two refereeing crews that were well below the standard in recent games. But the reality I think is if you watch English premier league 
the officiating really isn't that much better. Uh, I think most neutral observers would say that the Premier League is among the poorest uh, officiated leagues, especially among those with a ton of money, and uh, particularly, but not exclusively, as it relates to video-assisted replay. It is something that is difficult, um, and it's not an easy answer for any country in the world, including those where soccer is um, sports one through ten on the on the sporting palette. That said, the primary way to get better as an officiating country, as, as we worry about being a footballing nation, I guess being a better officiating nation is also important to us, but uh, we need to have more officials. Um, if there are a bunch of qualified guys, um, John Freeman gets fewer assignments because, because there are fewer to go around um, to a greater group of referees. Unfortunately, it, it is made really tough by the structure of USSF and the state associations to get involved in high-level refereeing keeping it close to home. I think Tennessee State Association does a lot of really good things for the game. They have a particularly bad reputation for how difficult it is to get involved with coaching education and referee education. And so it's, it's, it's hard for people who are most likely to be listening to this podcast to kind of be part of the change that they want to see in the world, unfortunately. I do think the easiest thing that a, a day-to-day fan can do, especially if they have kids playing soccer, especially if they go to college soccer games, is when referees at lower levels do make mistakes, be kind to those guys. I understand it's very easy. Um, certainly as a fan, I would very much have the temptation to, to roast them from the sidelines, but you, you don't want to drive people out of officiating. Um, those guys don't make a lot of money, especially at the lower levels. And uh, if, if you encourage somebody to, to quit officiating, that's just one more official that doesn't exist that could be the most talented official in the world and just decides that it's not worth the effort and I'm not going to become... Uh, an A-level FIFA pro referee. Um, obviously, by, t- by the time guys get to, say, the USL or MLS level, they have, they have certainly gone through the ringer enough that they've shown that that's not going to stop them. They also are, are in a high enough profile position that they um, probably deserve to be criticized when they do it wrong. But guys, guys you know, refing an eighth grade game and, and getting paid 50 bucks, they're going to quit honestly, if, if they get abused at games and, and you shouldn't be abusing them at games anyway. So be kind to officials, uh, as, as tempting as it can be to be otherwise, I guess. Logan Elliott asks, uh, speaking of officials, uh, were we fairly lucky that Ted Uncle blew the final whistle when he did against Atlanta United? Watching from home, it looked as if Anunga wasn't going to get to the ball and that Atlanta may have had a 2v1 situation. This was right at the end of second half stoppage time. Uh, is what Logan is asking about here. I think the the overall picture is that Ted Uncle blew the whistle because of kind of what was about to develop on the field. He had already gone past the stoppage time that he'd had put on the board. I believe it was three minutes and we were like at 3.30 or something like that. So lucky might not be the right word. Atlanta players were mad. And I think if I were an Atlanta player, I would have been absolutely livid. Let's go back to, to our grace to the officials, I guess, a little bit. But I think Uncle knew that it would be unfair to the way the game had played out to extend it, to give that opportunity the chance to even come to fruition. And it was kind of a, uh, in hindsight, I think even Atlanta players would say it was a, a savvy and correct move to blow the whistle when he did. Jay Robinson asks, can we take a moment and appreciate the field that at Geodis Park has all that rain, and it was still better than most in the league. Absolutely. I have been uh, incredibly impressed with the field surface at Geodis Park. We knew it was going to be very good, but we still need to give a quick shout out to Adam Portonier and Alex Paul now, the groundskeepers. 
Um, they have done a fantastic job, not only over at Curry Ingram Academy where Nashville SC trains, but at Jodis Park itself. It is in immaculate condition. Hopefully uh, it remains that way if there are any more rain games like we saw on Saturday evening. But for the time being, you would be hard pressed to find a field with any sort of quality, even remotely approaching that, um, regardless of, of whether it had or had not rained in that stadium. Finally, we will go to Payancito. He says, can we win a playoff game without Hani? Um, first things first, I will say, hopefully Nashville SC doesn't have to. Hopefully Hani Mukhtar stays healthy all year. But um, in terms of whether it would be possible, it depends on who else is available. A full strength Nashville SC team. I think this team, subtracting any single player, can play with basically anybody. Obviously, Hani Mukhtar is the hardest, or maybe, I guess, they're the only two other players who I think are even in that stratosphere in terms of difficulty to replace are Walker Zimmerman and Joe Willis. Obviously there have been mixed reviews on Willis so far this year, but I do think that Hani Mukhtar is the most difficult to replace. I don't think he is irreplaceable, but when we look at what this team can do to, to maximize the chances of winning a playoff game without Hani Mukhtar, it's play that game at home, uh, win a bunch of games going forward so that you don't have to make some of the more difficult journeys in this, in this league. And, um, what you want to do is, is regardless of who's on the pitch during the regular season, use the regular season to maximize your chances of success in the postseason. Now let's go to outside in the final segment here because Wes is not here. I'm going to keep it real short for you guys. Uh, well, let's look again at the U.S. Open Cup. I did it a couple of weeks ago and did it horribly, but I'm going to predict all of the eight remaining games. No. 16 remaining games here. No, eight remaining games. That was right. It is the round of 16. Two, two teams per game is the trick there. Um, they are all taking place on Wednesday evening, so um, you will be able to watch only a couple of them as they'll, as they'll overlap with Nashville SC. That deserves your full big screen, but we'll go in chronological order there. Two seven o'clock games. Those uh, would be six o'clock our time, probably. Um, and then uh, 6.30 game our time. Eight, two eights, an 8.30 our time, and a couple 9.30. So that is a quite the, quite the task there. Inter-Miami, Orlando City, um, two teams that are playing very poorly in MLS this year. I do think Orlando City has more talent. The game is at Orlando, so that is one that even if Inter-Miami kind of makes a business decision saying, hey, we have learned that we cannot compete successfully in Major League Soccer this year, and we're going to go for the Open Cup. I think Orlando probably has similar motivations and, and can and get the win at home. Uh, well, I'll skip Nashville, and I'll finish that with that one, of course. Um, New England Revolution uh, at New York City FC in Jamaica, Queens at St. John's University. Um, the Revs are very bad this year. New York City FC is the best team probably in the Eastern Conference. They're right there. Um, with their, their New York counterparts, uh, New York Red Bulls and Philadelphia Union. I think with Matt Turner back, the Revs have a chance to, to steal one away here because NYCFC is going to be in the running for the Supporters' Shield this year and, and is probably going to shift a little bit more of its resources in that direction. I think the upset there, Revs win it. 
Um, Charlotte FC at Red Bulls. Charlotte FC is not a good soccer team, even though they can find a good result here. I do believe at Montclair State University with its famed Spanish mission architecture, uh, longtime readers of clubcountryusa.com uh, will remember uh, my trip up there and saying, what is going on? Why are we like in the, in the American Southwest here in central New Jersey? But I do think the Red Bulls win that one. Union Omaha at Minnesota United FC, a USL League One team making it into the uh, round of 16 here. Uh, that's as far as they go. <laughs> it's that simple. Houston Dynamo sporting Kansas City. Um, the Dynamo have really turned it on. They are playing a lot better. Unfortunately, Nashville played a pretty significant role in that turnaround. Um, but I do think with that uh, having happened, even going to SKC, they'll, they'll get the win there. LAFC against LA Galaxy. This is an incredible midweek matchup um, that I, obviously it happens for geographic reasons when you look at how the U.S. Open Cup is drawn in these rounds here. But El Trafico gets a bonus addition this year. I think LAFC is the better team. And I'll, I'll, I'll give it to LAFC. As you can tell, I did not write these out beforehand. And San Jose Earthquakes traveling just inland from the Bay to Sacramento Republic, I think. Republic, shout out to a former boy in gold, Matt LaGrasa. I believe Republic is a USL championship team that has the ability to beat an MLS team. I think San Jose Earthquakes are not a very good MLS team. And thus, I pick Republic for the upset. And let's, let's call them the Nashville-Louisville game part of the final whistle. I think Nashville SC is going to go up to Louisville and get a less than convincing but... Uh, an existent win. I do believe that um, this Nashville SC team has what it takes to, especially focusing on the U.S. Open Cup. I think, as I previously mentioned, they are going to prioritize it a little bit more than they're willing to say publicly, and that's very important. Uh, Cameron Lancaster is going to score for Louisville City FC because just because he has just that level of animus towards or animosity towards Nashville. But I do think the boys and gold get a two-one win. Thank you, everybody, for, for listening. I'm so sorry that Wes couldn't be here because he's living out his Mad Max for a road fantasy in the desert in Arizona. Um, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. I know we say this every single week. Very serious about it, though. Um, it's how we get to more people. And, and heck, go tell a friend about us. That's how we get to more people as well. Check out our sponsor, ML Rose. You can read all of my written content at clubcountryusa.com. Check me out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at clubcountryusa. Check out Wes, even though he's not here. I'll, I'll give him a shout out to at West Bowling TN on Twitter. Um, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you soon.